On this episode, we talk about prepping employees for leadership over staffing. I'm fairly grumpy about the Jets loss. Chuck, this is episode 156 of the Ask Gary V Show. India's a little under the weather. Just a little. Uh, I'm also under the weather for my football weather. <laughs> I'm really pissed. Whatever. I'm not, I don't even want to talk about it that much. Like, I'm in a bad mood. I'm in a good mood. There's a lot of good. There's plenty bad. Um, I don't know. I could go on a rant of like the dealings with the Boston fans. But, what's that? I am six for six on my prediction. I hope you guys are making money on this. Um, But, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Let's get into the show. Dan asks, how do you prepare employees transitioning into a leadership role when they've never managed people before? Dan, I think one of the big mistakes a lot of people make uh, when running organizations, as me, the CEO of this company, is they... Eventually somebody gets into a place where they're good enough, they go into a managerial role, so they go from being a mason to an architect. They no longer do the day in and day outs. They now have to architect people doing it at scale. And the CEO or the business owner or the boss never put that person in a position along the way to do that. Like I'm, I'm really curious how many people at Vayner are gonna watch this or listen to this answer, but it, make, it may make them start rewinding uh, a lot of their day-to-day things that they may not realize that I'm puppeting from here because they're getting it told by their bosses. But a lot of people, whether you're an AM, uh, uh, you know, an account manager or an account supervisor, uh, about to become an account director or group director where you're managing more people, there's a lot of things I'm doing. Changing the accounts you work on, changing the team that's underneath you. There's a lot of puppeteering going on um, to, to really a lot of different, uh, like, groups I want them to be a part of, uh, just different little things that are happening to create a proxy and a context point and a data point on who they would be if they were a manager. And so I think the answer to this question is I prep by prepping them along the way versus ripping off the Band-Aid and then <gasps> I hope they can be a manager. You know, I, I think you've got to prep people and, uh, and I think you've got to give them some context points and put them in positions to succeed and, and really like know them too. Know if they were babysitters or the head of their, of their um, sorority or you know, how they roll. Like really auditing them as human beings 360 outside of the context of just them being an employee. These are all very important parts and if you can replicate some of the versions that matter to you. A lot of my people I think are really capable of being managers from a skill level but they don't have the HR, EQ, they, they're, they're too type A, they need to take a step back and zen a little bit to let their employees breathe. They need to realize they can't impose their skills. Biggest mistake a lot of managers make when they first become managers is they try to turn everybody under underneath them into them versus turning them into the best version of themselves. Jim asks, where do you see the health and wellness industry going in the next five years? 
Jim, I think it's much of the same that we've seen over the last five years. I think we've never seen such growth and everybody caring about their health. I got caught up into it. I think we're eating better than ever. We're more educated about food than ever. I think people are working out more than ever. I think the vanity of Instagram and selfies, uh, no, I think everybody here wants to look better than they used to. I think we're becoming PR versions of ourselves. Um, so I think people putting in more work. I mean, especially with butts. You know, with butts you can actually put in the work. Like, you can actually make your butt better by putting in the squats. So I think people are really focusing on that. Um, that's clearly been a trend. It's just true. Um, you know, uh, and, so, uh, and so I think, I think more than ever, uh, one other thing, back on, on a 360 point of view on this, I'm, I'm seeing an enormous meditation trend growing in the US. I will, I will argue that five years from now, which is a long time from ta- today, uh, a lot more people are doing meditation on an everyday basis, the way we probably saw yoga play out the last 15 years. Um, so I, I see a lot, a lot more focus on longevity, health, and I think uh, what I like is because of information exchange on the internet, I think you're seeing a lot more healthy ways to go about it. I think if you look at the 80s uh, and early 90s, a lot of the ways that people wanted to get younger was by having surgery. Um, and I think more and more people are trying to actually do something about it in their 20s, 30s, 40s. I'm so impressed with the healthness that and the U.S. health culture has exploded um, over the last decade, and I, I see much of the same tripling down. I think there's a lot of upside in that space. I think that means that a lot more scammy, quick buck-making people are gonna join the space. I think we've seen that. Um, I think every fitness guru now thinks they're an entrepreneur and wants to sell their program or their shake. A lot of the same DNA that being great at working out and disciplined mapped to being an entrepreneur, yet I find a lot of people that are uh, strong at working out every day don't put the same vigor and work into their business, which I find very intriguing. Um, So that's kind of what I see happening. From Tim? Tim. You've about being T-Rock, were you sad? Did you watch the Jets game yesterday? Yeah, I was sad. And you, you, you've just started really becoming a fan. Mm-hmm. And that was a weird feeling? Yeah, because... Did you, did you notice yourself caring a lot more than you thought? Yeah. Stefan, did... I can't be, do uh, anything about Stephon, it. Stefan, who do you like in football? I don't really have a team. Cool. So then does that mean that you're also getting sucked up a little bit into like you're here all the time? Like, yeah. when you don't care, you probably care a little more about the Jets than you did before because yeah, I'm suckering you in, right? Like, it's all so yes. like I can't help but to like check the score. Right, and so like, were you like, oh, too bad? Yeah. India? Yeah, like I feel like I've been checking the score, which is really weird because I've never watched football my entire life. So did you like, did you check the score? Like, how did you find out yesterday? Did you watch a little bit, or did you I just was, check like, the score? Checking in as I knew the game was happening. Yes. So I was like refreshing Google to see the score. You know? Amazing. Yeah. And then when you finally knew we lost, you were like, oh darn. I was like, oh man, Gary's gonna be sad tomorrow. Yeah. And Stefan, how did you follow? Did you watch? Yeah, I like watched some and then I was checking scores and then yeah, when I started, because I was still scored fourth quarter and I was like, oh, 17, 16 chess. I was like, oh, they got a chance. And yep. then I was like, sort of final score. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, tough <Yeah>. one. <laughs> Tim asks, you've joked about being overstaffed, but what's the balance between hiring for capacity and waste? Tim, that's a great question for all of you that are growing quickly. Uh, I think one of the things I take the most pride in is my ability to have a a pulse on my organization from a sales top line revenue impact and on the bottom line cost thing. I think I grow businesses way faster. I do believe that if I end up operating two more businesses, if I have four businesses in my career before I die that I've hyper grown, I have two now in my bag, like really fast. 
like all time, like really, especially non-technology companies, really fast. I will be known. I mean, I actually think my legacy as an operator could be speed to victory. Um, I think what I'm really good at is I have disproportional understanding of the pulse of what I'm selling and I'm willing to bet right to the brink because I don't need to take home a lot of money. Like I've always left my own monies and my own uh, vices on the table to reinvest back into my business which allows me to overstaff which means I'm then ready for the new business that comes in and I don't have to go crazy finding the talent and so uh, because I'm trying to build culture. Sure you can freelance and outsource less margin but you can do better cash flow make more profit but I want those people part of my team and grow with them, let them learn the religion, grow. So um, I I think everybody's got their own balance but I think it's completely predicated on your stomach for uh, for risk because it comes with risk. You don't want to overstaff, then you lose an account, then you have to let people go, then it changes the vibe. I think it comes down to your salesmanship ability. Can you always, in a pinch, sell some more stuff out of nowhere? And I think that it comes down to um, to, uh, the Understanding of where your business is positioned compared to the uh, landscape. Meaning, I always knew that I'm ahead of the market and the world's gonna come to me. A lot of our scopes, uh, our contracts for 2016 are growing very quickly because I knew the world in 2009 would spend more money on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, Snapchat, or whatever was there at the time. You know, the current state of the internet. So I'm riding that wave, it lets me bet a little bit more. Um, It's a pulse, cadence, feel, taste thing that allows me to get away with it but ultimately more than anything it's the balance of your own selfish wants of your take home income versus how much you want to reinvest in your business. It's as simple as that. If you're running a business and you're making a million dollars in revenue and you have $600,000 in expenses you're taking home $400,000. You could make it $850,000 in expenses take home $150,000 and then know that that extra investment will allow you to make $3 million the next year. I believe in myself ultimately, any entrepreneur, CEO, or decision maker that's taking money off the table, I believe is betting less on themselves along the way and are playing a short-term game. Um, To me, the time I start extracting dollars is when I believe less in the growth of the company. Yeah, some good ones. Hey Gary, first I just wanna say it's a pleasure that I can ask you this question. Um, I'd really like to hear the answer to it. I wanna ask, how important is it to create a new lane for yourself? As an artist or entrepreneur, if something is working for you, do you just carry on doing that even if you have new ideas that you may want to explore? I guess the whole point is how and when is a rebrand necessary? That's a great question. Great question and and you obviously probably know that I went through a rebrand to a lot of people which was I was the wine guy, I became this business guy, social media guy, whatever you want to call me. I did it in parallel. I'm a very big believer that all of you that have real passion and belief that you have skill to create another lane should. And I would call it my version of an 80-20 rule. I would spend 80% down on what's working for you but I would always have a 20% lane for testing, learning, tasting, creating new revenue opportunities. I do that all the time within my business. Vayner tries a lot of things, a lot of it fails but holistically we win because that 80% is enough. One could argue that we would do a lot more business if I went 100% I would agree with that but then that wouldn't open up the capabilities. We're gonna be the best 360 video agency in the world, that was a bet and an investment. And so that's how you have to play it out. Uh, 80-20 my friend, it's a great question for a lot of you. If you can keep 80% of your practicality and execute there, especially if you play the way I do, which is if you layer on top more hours, then you're kinda getting 100 over here and you're getting that free 20% testing. And you can test one thing at a time in that 20% lane. So you can go 12, 18, 24 months on that 20 on 
this. That doesn't work, try another thing. But I wouldn't break up that 20% into four or five percents because you need at least 20% of your energy to get something going off the ground in the way that works for me. Everybody's different, but that would be my direct black and white answer to that question. Sarah asks, how can a consumer soft goods company capitalize on the exposure of being in a department store this holiday season? Sarah, great question. Um, you know, a couple things. I think Twitter search is incredible. So anybody mentioning a Macy's or a Saks or a Bloomingdale's or any of the store that you could be mentioning, uh, anybody that mentions it, anybody that mentions it on Twitter, for you to jump in as you as a human or as the logo of the company and engage with them, not for the right hook, you know, but find a sweet or clever or interesting way to mention that you're there. Um, you know, you could literally reply, like somebody says, go into Macy's to shop. You could literally reply of like, oh, have a great time. We love them. They, you know, we now are there. You know, like, like just like, or like our new home for the holiday season. If you stumble upon us, let us know. Or you make it cheeky and fun and you say, hey, take a selfie with one of our products and we could do something cool and then you do a random contest. Depends on how much you want to go from right hook to a jab, but I would mix in the acknowledgement. Um, even if it's as simple as like, we're happy to be there too, have a good time there, we're so thankful for them. You know, something that's a little more self-deprecating and appreciative to the organization that gave you distribution. But I think Twitter search is probably number one. If you have some ad dollars, I would run it against fans of that organization. Uh, A lot of people follow these department stores for their coupons and deals on Facebook or Instagram. You can run some ads against them because you know you're there. Uh, If you have a small test around zip codes, if you're in 13 locations, you can run ads amongst people that are most likely to buy that product depending on interests within a one mile radius of that store because you know they're probably going to that store. So there's some tactics you can do there. That would be it. I would uh, I would use it for content. Like if you or any of your salespeople or anybody in your organization or if just you, I would buy inexpensive plane tickets and go to different stores and take pictures with the product showing that you're hustling in Texas and New York and in San Francisco. So that could be a cool thing for content. Um, you could make some periscopes live from like, you know like it's a very proud moment. I'm planning on doing some really cool shit with my books distribution this year. Uh, I think I'm gonna go to a lot of Barnes and Nobles and bookstores and just sign them and leave Easter eggs and like I'm gonna pick a page in the new book, whatever's a white page, and I'm gonna come up with codes that if you email me and take a selfie that you actually bought that book, that you then win like DRock for a year. DRock, you're gonna work for somebody else. Um, You know, like stuff like that, like cool stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of clever things you can do. Those are just a couple that came off the top of my head. Cool. Cool. Is that it? That's it. That's the show? Do we have a Friday show this week? Mm-hmm. All right, so I'll be able to uh, do my prediction. Six for six. Have you guys, did you make some money? Did you bet this week? No, I don't even. You don't gamble. No. I respect that. <laughs> um, that's all I got. Grumpy. See ya. If you keep asking questions, I'll keep answering them. <laughs>